Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. Countercultural lifestyle has always been pop culture's claim to fame. The interesting thing about pop culture is it's transgressive by nature. It's, it's got a shock value to it. It's, it's transgressive. But our pop culture has made nothing shocking anymore. Nothing's transgressive, therefore nothing's provocative. The misfits, the rebels, the outsiders are you now. So here's to the misfits. I'm serious. We are the counterculture. And this is not a new idea. We've always been the counterculture. And uh, we're going to get into this now in our new series on the Gospel of Mark. Um, this series will lead us right up to Easter. And I cannot wait to go through this gospel with you. This gospel is concise to the point, and it really is going to lead us through what the counterculture is supposed to be. The problem with the church, it is always supposed to have been countercultural, and instead of being countercultural, we decided that we want to incorporate as much of the world as we can so that we can be palatable to people. Um, I'm all about being quote-unquote seeker-friendly. I want people to come in and, and feel comfortable and enjoy their time in the house of the Lord with God's people, but we can't, we can't be, we can't compromise the truth of God's word in order to appeal to the masses. We have always been called to be a counter-cultural people. So I say it again. Here's to the misfits. One of my favorite books by Craig Groeschel is called, entitled, is one word, is called, titled Weird. Weird. We've always been called to be a little on the out, on the, on the, on the fringe. So for this entire series, the big idea is this. The series explores key themes in the Gospel of Mark, the concept of the kingdom of God and its upside-down values. Over and over again, we learn how this kingdom elevates the marginalized, protects the vulnerable, and finds its strength in weakness. Through following our new ruler, we learn to receive the kingdom and live as, pre, uh, as pre, previews excuse me, to the coming glory. We're going to get into that today. This is what the world needs. The world has been told for generations now that God is dead. And the fact that they killed him was a good thing. It freed them. Freedom for what? What they're realizing, what, what we're coming to realize is that the generations that have gone down that track have only found more and more problems. Do you realize that we, as a liberated mind of people, uh, collective mind, that have excluded God from our, our, our society and our schools and our country and all these, and even our churches. 
We are at a, the highest suicide rate ever. Aren't we so free? We talked about it in our last series. The principles of God's word are the foundation for civilized society. It breaks down. It doesn't work. Especially in a culture like ours, where we're supposed to be self-governing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is going to be huge. This is what the world needs. This is what the world, they don't even know it, but they're crying out for. I, I, I think I told you at the beginning of this year that the latest Barna study showed that 75 plus percent of people who were polled are looking for, post-pandemic, are looking for some kind of soul care. They don't even know how to put a word on it. Why is that? Because the secular culture has left them empty. Guys, I'm telling you, if the church will do what the church is meant to do, it's going to cause waves. But I'm telling you, the churches are going to be full again. The churches are going to be full again. And the churches that are not preaching the gospel will be empty, like they already are. Do you know that church is not a social group? Now, I like seeing you. I like drinking coffee with you. I especially like times where we get to eat together. Did you know that that was a countercultural idea from Acts chapter 2? That's church. But it's not only it's not only the social part of church that we do. We don't come together and give clever talks. We talk about the word of God. I almost feel like God. We talk about the word of God because I'm telling you you don't care what I think. I'm just another dude. You don't care. Why would you care? Why would you come and listen to some guy tell you his thoughts and philosophies on the world? I'm not that smart. I Ask my wife. You don't care about that. You want to know what's in this. And if I could open up this to you, and I could share what God says about how reality exists, man, the church is going to be full. Because you're going to go, I, I, you're going to go to your friend who's going to say, I just feel, I feel something's missing. And you, I know, I felt that way too. Let me tell you, I got a pastor who knows everything. No, you're not going to say that. That's stupid. Don't say that. They'll be in for a big, big uh, disappointment. No, you're going to say, I've been there. I know exactly how you're feeling. And I have, I want to I wanna introduce you to somebody. He's, he ain't dead. He's alive. This is not even part of the sermon. We're just going, we're riffing here. Because I've been so excited and encouraged that the world is seeing the, the veil that has been pulled over their eyes and they're going, this stinks. People are open. I'm encouraging you. Tell them. And if they hate you for it, then you're just more and more like Jesus that way. That's a good thing. All right, what does the sermon have to say? Um, so we're in this book of Mark. Mark is a phenomenal book. And I just want to give you like an intro to the book. Ready? This book was written to Gentile readers. That's you, most of you and me, um, especially Rome. Okay? Mark presents Jesus as the 
ultimate servant. We'll see that throughout the book. He emphasizes what Jesus did. Now, that's why I kind of I love Mark is one of my favorite Gospels for this point. He emphasizes what Jesus did rather than what he said. Now, what he said is important. Mm-hmm. But everybody ever come across somebody who said one thing and did something completely different? Jesus backs up his rhetoric in the book of Mark with action. The words immediately... Uh, the words immediately is used over 40 times to show Christ as a servant of action. I like that. It records 18 miracles. Over half of Christ's 35 recorded miracles are in the book of Mark. Mark is the earliest, as far as we know, is the earliest, and we know it's the shortest of the Gospels. It's like Gospel Prime. It's like, it's like what all the others, so Mark... And Luke referenced, excuse me, not Mark, Luke and Matthew referenced Mark in writing their Gospels, along with the eyewitnesses that they interviewed and things like that. Mark is Gospel Prime. All right? Chapters 1 through 8 center on Christ's ministry to the multitudes, and chapters 8 through 10 deal with his ministry primarily to his disciples. Chapter 11 through 16 focuses on Jesus' resurrection excuse me, Jesus' rejection by the Jewish rulers and the sacrifice of his life for those multitudes. So we have Jesus' public ministry, then we have Jesus' ministry to his core, his 12, and then we have the the, uh, narrative of his sacrifice for the masses. Interestingly enough, Mark spends almost half of his book in the last week of Jesus' life. So you have a whole half of the book kind of deals with his ministry, and then half of the book deals with the last week. Okay? The key verse to summarize Mark's message, it's on the banners out in the hall there, is this, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man, even the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So who is Mark? Who is this guy? who's writing this gospel. Tradition holds that Mark is the author of the gospel. Now, when we, when we think of Mark, obviously that's, that's a statement, right? Mark wrote Mark, right? But we know this person as John Mark um, in, in the book of Acts, okay? So it, he has kind of like that two-name thing. He's born in Jerusalem, probably from a well-to-do family. His mother, Mary, one of the Marys, you know, read the gospel, and it's like Mary, Mary, and Mary, Oh, and then Martha? This is one of the Marys, okay? She had a large house that was a meeting place for Christ and the believers. John Mark was Barnabas' cousin, and he went on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, though he ended up ditching them about halfway through the trip. Later in the book of Acts, we learn that Mark has been restored to full service with Paul recognizing his value, and asked if he could come and work with him once again. So Paul, Paul and Barnabas had this break over John Mark. They're like, Barnabas, Barnabas was like, give him another chance. Paul's like, nah. He's like, well, I want to give him another chance. Paul's like, well, then I'm out. 
I'm going to go this way, you go that way, whatever. But by the end of Paul's ministry, when he's in Rome, he's calling for John Mark because John Mark proved himself to not be a quitter anymore. Uh, calling for John Mark to come and, come, come and work with me. So that's kind of a cool, uh, kind of a real world. You know, see, we always think of like the stories of the Bible as being these exceptional people who do these exceptional. Well, no, John Mark, one of the gospel writers, is a deserter. He got scared. That's kind of encouraging to me. I don't know. It's kind of encouraging to me. Mark was very close to the apostle Peter, who most likely was the one to, to lead John Mark to Christ in the first place. Now, the cool thing about this gospel is most theologians believe that Mark recorded the uh, recollection of the apostle Peter about Jesus' life. So, yes, this is the gospel of Mark, but it's actually the recollection of the apostle Peter about the ministry of Jesus. Mark was a very young man, a very young, young person when Jesus was in his ministry. Um, Mark, later on in the gospel, asserts himself into the story in a very bizarre way. And we'll get to that later on in the story, but it is funny. So, that's, that's where we are. That's who wrote the book. That's what the book is, kind of the synopsis of the book. So, let's start with week one, huh? The title of this message is this, Another Kingdom. Another Kingdom. And the big idea for today is this. If Jesus is truly the Messiah and King, then our values and practices should look like they came from another kingdom. You should look, I should look, a little weird. And they're like, everybody said, you do. (laughs) I get it. We should look different because we are not of the kingdom of this world. We are of another kingdom. Mark, chapter 1. Open your Bible. We're going to read 1 through 15 today. That's the text we're going to be using. And... uh, we actually referenced this text a little bit in our, our uh, Advent series this past year, Christmas time. So it may be familiar to, to many of you from that. So Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says this. Let me read it right out of the, right out of, so that it's not you're thinking I'm changing things on you. I know nobody would ever think that. The beginning, I love that. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare the way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. Focus on that word, repentance. John came proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were coming and going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So now we have this concept of baptism, of repentance, which includes the confession of Sin. Interesting. John wore a camel hair garment 
with a leather belt around his waist and, ate, and locusts, and he ate locusts and wild honey. So this guy is the misfit of misfits. He is the fringe, right? He's wearing camels and eating locusts. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. He's pointing somebody. He's, he's redirecting the attention from himself to somebody else. He's coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Verse 9. So this is what's happening. This is what's going on. John's doing his thing. He's proclaiming a, uh, the need for repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which, has, which includes the confession of sin. And he's, his message is this. Something's coming. Someone's coming. There's a, there, there's a, there's a new thing happening. Something's going to come down the pike. Get ready. Get ready. Prepare the way of the Lord. Get ready. And then verse 9 happens. In those days, when John was doing all those things, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptizing in the Jordan. It was baptizing the Jordan by John. Think about this. Jesus comes and he baptizes. You know, why, was pe- why were people getting baptized? They were getting baptized for the forgiveness of sins, repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and confession. Why is Jesus being baptized? He doesn't fit that category. We'll get into that later. As soon as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. With you I am well pleased. Let's move on just a little bit more. Verse 12. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels were serving him. All right, stop there. Now, let's keep going. 315, I think that's good. Let's keep going. After John was arrested, okay, so this is all happening. I want to give you the context. After this is all happening, Jesus goes out into the wilderness. Time is passing. He's there for 40 days. He's having his temptations, all these types of things, right? And time, some time passes, and John is arrested by Herod, and this is, you know, you got to understand Mark is very uh, concise. So time is passing more than John's writing. Let's put it that way, okay? He's not including everything. So then he goes, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And this is what he said. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. So we got a lot to, we got a lot to unpack here. This concept of repentance. Let me, let me just help you to understand. This is a culture that is steeped in religious belief. They're highly religious people. Yet they are sensing 
the same things that your neighbors and your coworkers and you have sensed in your life, that there's something missing. This can't be all there is. This is, this world, this life, this way of thinking, this way of approaching our existence is letting me down. I'm, I'm moving, I'm trying to get these things, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to, I just feel hollow inside. So what's happening? John is preaching a very simple message. He's saying, listen, you need to turn around. You need to repent. That's what, turn around, that's what repent means. It means turn around. You need to turn around. There's a different way of living. And the man who's going to bring this into reality is on his way. Get yourself ready. Get ready. So it says this, in the beginning, right? This book, this gospel starts with the beginning, verse 1, and alludes to the original beginning of Genesis 1.1. And I love this. He says, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning. What does that mean? Why is John, see, why is Mark starting with this? Because this whole chapter is to try to say this. It was different. When the world was the kingdom of God, the world was different. It's not like it was now. It was other. It was different. So the man is coming that is going to bring the rule of the king of the world, and it's going to live and it's going to exist within this one. But it's different. It's not like this one. Okay? It's very important. The start of the story implies that a new beginning is breaking in, replacing or redeeming, I like the word redeeming, the old one. Not only does the language evoke a sense of new beginnings, the setting does as well. Where is John? Where is he? He's in the wilderness. He's preaching in the wilderness. Who else, we just talked about it in a lot, who else was called out of a way of life into a new reality in the wilderness? The people of Israel. They were brought out of slavery to a system that is not how God wanted them to be and brought into a new system in which they failed miserably. But anyway, so do we. You get what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's just evoking these, these primal ideas of Scripture. This first chapter is rich with the concept of recreation as well as the necessity, the uh, necessary component of repentance. So what does this mean? You can't keep going down the same path and think anything else, anything different is going to come your way. If you keep walking the way the world is dragging you down, you're going to get that same reality. It takes a turn. It takes a turn. You've got to change it up. All right? Repentance is necessary to experience this. When in uh, verse 1-4 says that John the Baptist was preaching a baptism of repentance, of turning, of change, we are introduced to a central theme of this book. This book deals with this change a lot. Uh, R.T. Francis, uh, R.T. France describes 
as a call towards, now I could never write this. This is beautiful. Ready? Reorientation to the paradoxical values of the kingdom of God. Say that five times fast. A reorientation to the paradoxical values of the kingdom of God. That's what the gospel of Mark calls us to. It's to see the kingdom. It's to see the kingdom of God within the world. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you for a little bit. Throw that picture up. Okay, what's wrong with this picture? It's upside down, right? I think it's Adele. I'm not quite sure. Uh, it's upside down. Go ahead and rotate that for me. Get out of your way. Yes, it's a little bit more messed up than you originally thought. That's creepy. That is really creepy. Do, put it up again. Okay, this is what you saw. Rotate it. This is what was there the whole time. Nothing changed. Okay, just leave that. Just, just bother people for a little bit while I read this. Poor Adele. This illusion highlights a flaw in how our brains work. It's called the Thatcher effect. The Thatcher effect. We can't process an upside-down face because we are programmed to recognize a face that is right way up. We create a mental map by recognizing the face in pieces. Eyes, mouth, nose. Put the first picture up again. Okay. We recognize eyes, mouth, nose. And they're, in the, they're generally in the right place, right? It's not. Um, so we are present, when we're presented with the upside-down image, it's not uh, processed properly. We know it's upside down. We know it. But because we are so rarely encounter upside down faces, our brains can't interpret the expressions on them. The facial features look fine. So our brains assume the rest of the face is as well. That's why we don't see anything out of the ordinary until we turn the face right way up. Okay, it's just creepy. It's creepy. See, see how our we're wired? We're, I'm just saying we're wired. All right, go to the next. Get out of that because I'm just freak people out. Okay. Because we're born into a sinful world, we are wired to see things a particular way. The sin of the upside-down world doesn't look so bad to us until it is turned right way up. Only then do we realize just how messed up it is. Think about that for a second. We're so soaked in this culture, we think it's hard for us to even see how screwed up everything is until we're presented with the right way up kingdom that Jesus brought, and we go, whoa, whoa. And then we're like, boom, boom, that's, that's messed up, that's messed up. Wow. That is what Jesus came to do to show us the kingdom, turn things right way up, and reveal to us just how messed up things are without him. When he's the king, we get Eden. When he's not, things are really way more messed up than we even perceive them to be. So he says, listen, I'm coming. I'm coming. John's 
appearance and lifestyle is a great starting point for this. His rugged clothing and his strange diet immediately communicates that we are from a different, he has different values than the surrounding world. Now, I'm not telling you you need to go out and start eating, you know, bugs. I'm not saying that, unless you like bugs. Do you know they're trying to change our diets into bug diets? Michael, didn't you tell me that the other day? They're trying to shift our, to like eating grasshoppers and stuff? That's weird. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I digress. Um, but the idea is this. John, by, he's, doing a, he's doing a theatrical thing here. He's saying, look at me. I'm way different than you are. Things got to change, okay? The scene is our first clue that the in-breaking kingdom of God looks radically different than we might assume. Now, can I just ask you a question here? And I want you to be honest because this is an honest question that I need to ask myself as a pastor. How radically different does the church look than the world? I just think it's a good question. How radically, because this is not the church, by the way. It is, but it's not. I am, you are. How radically different is the way we think, how we live our lives, than that of the world? It's a good, introspective question to ask. Maybe you need to go buy some camel hair. This next section of this sermon is called The Anointed One. The two stories about Jesus in this section are intentionally selected. They reveal two important things about him. First, his baptism. Verse 9 through 11, we have his baptism. And his, introduce, uh, and his introduction as the Son of God. This is what Jesus is, is coming. He's, he's leaving his, I, I don't know, we assume he's got a carpentry shop somewhere. He's leaving that the normal life behind, and he's moving into his ministry. Okay? So his baptism is his introduction as the son of God. These, this has messianic overtones of deity and kingship. This is a huge deal. He is introduced as God, the only person able to be baptized without a confession of sin. He's the only person on that whole shoreline, and we can extend that shoreline through the ages, who can be baptized without the need for confession. Our baptism is a baptism of repentance. Okay, when we talk about baptism, we're going to have next month a baptism in water. Um, we, we understand that baptism is a baptism of repentance. It's turning from the kingdom of this world and turning to the kingdom of God. Okay, it's accepting him as our Savior and Lord, and it's an outward expression of that. It's, really, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really amazing uh, moment. That's our baptism. His baptism, Christ's baptism, was a baptism of anointing. It's a baptism of anointing. Like the kings of old were or, or anointed 
and set apart for the role of leadership. This is what Jesus' baptism was all about. And we know this because as he came out of the waters, the, the heavens were open. The Holy Spirit descended him on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, this is, you are my son. I'm well pleased with you. Good, good job. Here we go now. I, I, feel like, I feel like it's if it was one of my mentors or my dad, it'd be like, okay, David boy, here we go. It's on right now. No more, no more woodworking. We're going into it. And why is it, you think, well, that's just, you know, that was Jesus' whole reason for being here. Wait a minute, hold on a second. Yes, it was. But you got to remember in the garden, his, 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 his being undone by his mission. God, if you can make this cup pass from me, do it, but not my will, yours. So this, this marks the beginning of that end. Must have been, must have had some nostalgic thoughts about, you know, planing wood. I don't know. I could just do this forever. No, I'm going to move into this dangerous ministry. I'm going to set up my kingdom. Secondly, this section, he's immediately tested in the wilderness, verses uh, 12 through 13. So this is an identification with humanity and a reminder of his uh, very real physical and mental humanity, right? He's the God-man. He's God, but he's also human. Jesus has been tested, proven both to be human and had the capacity of withstanding testing and opposition. Let me ask you, that's not fair. He's God. How, how, how many of you would be, like, comforted if the, your only way out, your only Savior like, the minute he got tempted in the wilderness, like, failed. No, you don't want that. I could do that. You could do that. We want a king who can overcome what we can't on our own. We want that example. We want that person to be our king. Mark is introducing us to the ruler of the kingdom of God, Jesus, the God-man. We often recognize a nation or a group of people by their leader, right? Well, let me just test that for a second. What if I say the word Putin, right? You know we're not just talking about like a bare-chested, horseback-riding dictator of a communist nation, right? Putin. We know we're talking about Russia. We know we're talking about communism. We know we're, there's, there's much more. When, when you talk about the leader, you often, it, it, it represents the, the culture. In a similar way, we begin this book, a book that will guide our understanding of the kingdom of God by learning about the ruler, learning about the ruler of the kingdom. We will learn in this book about God, what it means to live in the kingdom He's not just going to teach us. He's going to show us. That's the gospel of Mark. And I love it because it's concise, it's action-packed, and it's full of Jesus doing the work of the kingdom. We're going to learn about the ruler of the new kingdom. 
the various ways he is not like we would expect him to be. Because when we think of ruler, we think of a certain thing. We think of the the Caesars and the dictators of our of our world, how they would rule. Maybe you're thinking of your boss. You're like, oh, my staff better not. <laughs> you're like, oh. When you're thinking about, Jesus is going to come and he's going to wreck leadership for everybody. He's just going to show us a new way. The section ends with a proclamation that should shape how we understand the entire story of the gospel of Mark. The kingdom, verse 15, the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. Once we're introduced to the king, we are introduced to his new and in-breaking kingdom. The actions and words of Jesus become not merely the actions and words of a good man or a teacher. They are a glimpse into the new order of things. The new order, which is really an old order. An old order, right? Because we're talking about this concept that this is the way it was supposed to be, right? We have this genesis, this Eden experience when Jesus is the king. The actions of Jesus are going to show that. This is the jumping point of jumping off point of discipleship. If Christ is our king and we are his people, then our lives must reflect the values and mores of that kingdom. Think about that for just a second. If he is, in fact, our king, and we are his people, our lives should reflect the values and mores of his kingdom. What does your life look like? Let me just ask it again. Does the church look radically different than the world? And I mean, you can't place that all on me because you are the church. Does, do we look different? Do we talk different? Do we react? Or should I say, do we respond rather than reacting? Do we love when other people would hate? Do we care when other people would walk away? Jesus said, you will know them by how they love each other. Do we love each other? Do we care for one another? We must grow in our understanding of what it looks like to live as citizens and ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Citizens and ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Jesus shows us what it looks like when we turn this world right way up and discover just how messed up it really is. People are starting to notice the cracks. I'm just telling you right now. This is not just me saying it from this pulpit. There are pastors, Christian leaders all over the country that are saying this at this very moment, saying, 
what's going on here? They're trying to put a finger on it. They're saying, there's something happening. I don't know if you've been following this, this revival at Asbury University. It's phenomenal. God is doing something new in our world. But it's not really new. It's just what he's always wanted us to do. And that is to make him king and be disgusted and discontented with the way this thing is without him being the king. And what's happening at these revivals and these these church services all across the country is this. People are repenting. They're turning. They're confessing. That's the mark of a true revival. I'm telling you, that's the mark of a true revival. Give me that all day over the falling down and the convulsing and the give me a break. Give me repentance. Give me a heart change. That's what we need. That's what we need. Jesus shows us what it looks like to live right way up. Then we will be able to live a life the way it was meant to be lived. Wouldn't it be awesome if our church could show some people, because he's done the work in us, how the world is supposed to look right way up. Wouldn't that be something? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It says at the beginning, when the Holy Spirit came, it said, the numbers of people being saved were in the thousands because their eyes were open to this new kingdom. That's going to happen here in our world, in our country, and I hope in this church, as the people of God go out and use the different tongues that they have to share the message with the people that are around them. You have a voice. You can share the good news. But you can't until you start living in the kingdom. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. To find out more about New Life Church or to plan a visit, go to our website at discovernewlife.org.